Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. All these girls gonna be in the league? Hello, gorgeous. Female fight club. All men must die, but we are not men. Damn it, Kristen! What do you think happened to Karen? Lauren. Girl, her name is Kimberly. face consequences for their actions and that's awesome so i am karen peterson joined as always by Kristen lopez i hate men <laughs> just I, I hate them <laughs> <laughs> lauren humphreys brooks uh, hi. we laugh so that we don't uh, cry and kimberly pierce hello um, Kim is the most optimistic out of all of us, it sounds like. We're all just really tired. <laughs> I do my damnedest. So tired. We oh, seriously. The world would be better if we could just tie up all the pretty men, get rid of all the other ones. And I, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, my friend. Rule the world. My friend, yeah, my friend who's like, we, we're going to have a zoo that we put the men in, and the good ones can, like, be free range. And the bad ones we just keep in but, cages. But Lauren, so. Lauren, we already know that if this continues, men will just be used for seed, and then they're going to be killing themselves en masse. And think of the men. Think of the men. The men have, a, you know, if you have a serious problem not sexually assaulting people, then that's your issue, not the world's issue. Like, <sighs> ugh. That is, that is a shout-out to my delightful Twitter follower who's an idiot. <laughs> is he actually oh, following yeah, men, you? Men are animals. Men are animals, but they're also... so they're, Men are animals, they're not responsible for their actions, but they also didn't do anything wrong. Like... And... Said. And... Who, who, who is the one... Who are the ones committing rape, Lauren? The... <laughs> The, rapist. The rapist. The rapist. Just like, but who, Lauren? Like, I don't but know. Who? I was going to say, it wasn't the ducks. What's the I thought it was the ducks. Oh, yes. Well, yes. Well, I mean, duck rapists could do we, it too. We did talk about this. We assumed that this person was talking about all the heinous duck rape that goes unsolved <laughs> because ducks are malicious little bastards that are committing crime. Well, they kind of are, actually. Have you ever been around ducks? Ducks do rape, actually. They do. They're really nasty. I don't know. I, I just hate goats, so I don't hang around ducks. And we all saw what that CGI bear did to Leo DiCaprio. We did. Just did. saying. I mean, really. We, why are we not ta- focusing on the real problem, which is animal rape of humans? <laughs> I, I need all of this yeah. in order to get through the, the heinous section that we have. Sold. All right. Okay. And we're just going to get right into it. So, um... Ronan Farrow, who is um, a gift, and we should all just be very thankful for him. And as he also said in the interview I was just watching this morning, all the brave women who have come to him and who know that they can feel safe coming to him. Uh, He has spent the last eight months working on a story that was published yesterday in New Yorker magazine. And if you haven't heard about this by now, like, you should turn on the news once in a while or maybe don't because it's all terrible but anyway uh he has written an article that came out in the new yorker about les moonvez the president and ceo of cbs um which basically he 
outlines, or not outlines, but he gets into detail of the stories of six different women who all have said that over the years, Les Moonves has committed acts of sexual misconduct, harassment, intimidation against them. And since this article was published yesterday, or even since it was buzzed about that it was coming, um, more than 30 additional people have come forward and said that things like this were systematic at CBS, that it was um, that a lot of times when men were accused of harassment, they got promoted. Um, and that was just very much how the culture's been under the reign of Moonbez. So, uh, who wants to share their thoughts first? Kristen? Um, I don't watch television, so I, um, That's why we're starting with you. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) So, talking about all this, I was just like, okay, this isn't surprising. This is a, a CEO, you know, head of a network. They also employed Charlie Rose, so I don't trust them to begin with. Um, I've heard this is a big game changer, um, but again, I I don't feel the ripples of this because I don't watch CBS. CBS is like, if you're over 50, you kind of watch CBS. It, it caters to like the older demographic. Um, so I, I just sit there thinking, okay, well, that sucks. Um, I, I do think it is it is upsetting though. Ileana Douglas is is quoted in that, and um, I I know her, and I say I know her as in we've talked um, several times and we go to the same events together. Um, and so I was I was really sad because she is a sweetheart, and that's it, it's just awful to hear all of this. But now kind of the net is closing in, and I know you know Karen and I especially we don't say we're in the know at all in any way shape or form but when it's people that are involved now that we do have this kind of uh, strong acquaintance with it just becomes more frightening so so this was more frightening to me on a personal level yeah i agree as i was starting starting to read through it and she's the first person that is named and my like I, my eyes just popped out of my head when i was like wait a second hold on what and yeah i mean just to read her story and to read what happened to her it 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 was devastating. So, um, Lauren, I mean, I I don't watch tons of I don't watch tons of network television uh, in general. But just thinking about the number of t- t- there are just so many different TV shows that are on CBS. It's a major network, uh, and I did not really know the name Moonves until until this article. Although the article opens by saying that he is one of the founders. Um, he helped found the commission on eliminating sexual harassment and advancing equality in the workplace, which is the oh yeah, I forgot to mention the that commission part, yeah. that is chaired by Anita Hill. So you know it's this massive degree of hypocrisy, but I think it also points to the fact that this article and I, we were discussing this earlier that, that this article more than even than some of the Weinstein stuff, even than some of the other other allegations about various high powered men that have come out highlights the systemic nature of the abuse that it isn't it's it's like passed off as being oh this is normal you know this this is to be expected in some way and all of the women's stories you know they follow a very definite pattern it's similar it's the similar pattern of like you get invited to go alone to uh, what is being presented as a business meeting you want when you wind up there the assistant leaves or you're locked in the room with the man and then suddenly he begins making these kind of sexual advances 
um, that are very, in some cases, very frightening, and in some cases, just gross. And and none of them seem to be like even attempts. It's it's you know there's been some of this discussion of like oh well he was just hitting on them. It's just like this this is not no women get hit on like you know you get a guy who who wants to kiss you or is like oh you're really attractive I want to go to dinner with you. That's not the same thing as being grabbed and held down and forcibly kissed and then like managing to to push him away and say no. Um, the two different things. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's just it's all shocking, and what's of course continuing to be shocking is just how um, how much a part of the Hollywood culture this is. This is normal, you know. Moonves probably didn't even think that he was committing any that he was committing sexual harassment, that he was committing assault. Uh, it's just like, oh, this is normal, you know. This is what I do with women that I'm attracted to. It's like Jesus Christ, man, don't. Well, yeah. well I think they called it what a madman esque atmosphere. You know, mm-hmm. this idea that it's the 1960s still. And again, that's that's kind of the through line that we're seeing. A lot of these guys, especially in the TV field of, like, news. I mean, let's not forget Matt Lauer on, on another yeah. network. You know, this concept of, like, the male newsman who, you know, smokes and rocks a fedora. And, oh, yeah, also treats the women like they're just, you know, the hot pieces of ass that take your coffee and... Um, all of that. So, so there's, there's that in there as well, um, that, that we just need to get away from thinking. Um, and I think it's hilarious that Moonves admits, you know, oh, I've, I've made advances that I thought were warranted at the time, but they weren't, and they were wrong, but these times specifically were, and that's my thing, is that, you know what, I would die of shock if somebody owned up to it and said, you know, hey, I support women, and also, I did these things. I mean, I think the closest we came was, what, Louis C.K., and even then, that wasn't flawless, but I'm just, I'm so sick of the whole concept of, I support women, first and foremost, but these bitches are using it for a totally wrong reason, because they're lying skanks. Yeah, I do want to read really quickly, um one part of this that was Moonvez's reply to the New Yorker and then uh, and then Kim I'd like to hear from you so um, in the piece it says in a statement because Bronin or someone from the New Yorker reached out and gave Moonvez the opportunity to comment so he knew that this was coming um, they also reached out to CBS so Moonvez said throughout my time at CBS we have promoted a culture of respect and opportunity for all employees and have consistently found success elevating women to top executive positions across our company I recognize that there were times decades ago when I may have made some women uncomfortable by making advances those were mistakes and I regret them immensely but I always understood and respected and abided by the principle that no means no, and I have never misused my position to harm or hinder anyone's career. This is a time when we all when we all are appropriately focused on how we can help improve our society, and we at CBS are committed to being part of the solution. Uh, yeah, okay. I- and then according to CBS, there have been no claims or settlements against Moonbeds, although there have been a lot of claims against other Uh, people in the company. I just love how, and this extends to our own field as well, I hire women, therefore I'm not an asshole. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's how that works. Kim, what do you have to say about all this? 
I, as I was reading this article yesterday, the thought popped into my head, how many of these exposés showing how systemic it is, how ingrained it is in all of these cultures? Because before this, you know, before this one taking down an entire network, which Pharaoh basically does, we found out that Fox News was pretty much a cesspool of the exact same shit. It's completely and fully ingrained in these cultures, and each time these come out, we're so shocked and appalled, but shit just needs to change. Um, I'm glad Kristen brought up, yeah, the Mad Men aspect, how how they, I think he said, what, Mad Men esque in the article, just that conjured such a perfect image of these especially cbs it's one of the big three original networks i don't watch as much network tv as i used to but cbs is one of the ones that especially lately have been hit pretty constantly for their lack of shows from female showrunners from their Mm -hmm. lack of female creators from their lack of shows geared towards women and i think we can figure out why based on this article well, and, and yeah. so much of this stuff has been, you know, uh, one of the through lines running through all of, all of these women's stories is that is this aspect of retaliation, that they were either afraid of or experienced retaliation in some way against their careers. So oh, completely. the fact that they said no, the fact that they, um, that they rebuffed him and were like, no, we're not going to do this, you know, and some of them tried to laugh it off and were sort of like, oh, you're not being serious. Let me leave. It's oh, it, yeah, it's, this is hilarious. No, I'm not going to tell anybody. You know, all of that stuff, everything that you do to kind of just get out of the room and to, to put it behind you. Um, and all of them were like, you know, they either, their careers suffered, they lost jobs, they lost, I mean, Ileana Douglas is the most extreme example. But all of them were like, you know, I, I don't think I think that I was hired. My career was damaged. I, you know, all of those repetitions of these are difficult women to work with, all of that stuff came back immediately. So this is, you know, we, we talk about the nature of sexism in Hollywood and why there aren't more female directors. Why aren't there more female show showrunners? Why? This is why. Yeah, exactly. Because this is the culture that they're existing in. And they're basically being told if you if you don't respond positively to the advances, however gross or or disturbing or just something you don't want to do of a powerful man, then you're not going to get the opportunities that you want. And this includes people that have been veterans in Hollywood for ages and are like, I I can't believe I can't believe that I'm being treated like this, you know, much less a young ingenue who's never had a job before. Um it just one, to think one thing that keeps coming up and has kept coming up over the past year and is this, you know, the casting couch idea and people just kind of laugh it off and and even just a couple weeks ago with Harvey Weinstein bringing it back up again is oh that's just always been part of it. Yeah, but the thing is it never should have been and we see that it's not like it's all about consent it's about just giving in and it shouldn't be part of of how this works and this is exactly i mean you guys are right this is exactly why we're still in this situation now and why we're still seeing so much of men running things because there are women who refuse to play into that game and they shouldn't have to play into that to be able to get ahead well, that example of and the actress in the article who wasn't named, who he says was, uh, I think he says she was a in a fairly long running 1980s CBS procedural. Yeah. 
you know, a named character in that, and then she rebuffs his advances, and then years later she gets another series contract and immediately gets dropped. How many actresses have we seen just fade into obscurity, and we've just assumed, oh, they, they got old, they did something. It's gives such a horrible, you know, it's... The, the competent nation between age and then, you know, how women, Hollywood it treats middle-aged women once they are past their age where they're deemed useful, and the other side rebuffing sexual advances from these exact studio heads, agents, what have you, women don't have a chance in this industry. Yeah, it, yeah. you know, it's, it's interesting because one of the things that reading that article reminded me of is that, I don't know whether you guys, do you guys watch Glow at all, the Netflix television show about female wrestlers? A little bit. It's... I it's a great show I mean I just I will give a major plug to glow and this season in particular is wonderful but there is an episode this season that deals directly with with this issue with the casting couch of a woman basically being invited to uh, one of the main characters of the show being invited to go to a meeting with the producer says I'm a big fan of yours I want to talk to you about the future of this show she goes and it's the same and where she thinks it's going to be a business meeting with other people there and that it eventually devolves into him making very inappropriate advances on her and and the aftermath and the consequences of that but see you've got these things like Mad Men you've got things like Glow that are all being set in the 1960s the 1980s you know and and we almost have this sense of like, oh, this isn't happening anymore. This was back in the day. This was back during the backlash. This was back before, before feminism, you know? It's still the same. It's the same fucking culture. These men, and these men are all coming from the same culture. And they're like, oh, this is normal. This is totally natural. It's just like, no, not for us, not for, this is not something that we want. And it has to end. It has to stop. Yeah. So I think that Les Moonves is going to be out at CBS, but it's not because of the article. It's because of the fact that when the article hit yesterday, CBS stock lost 6% of its value. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which is great news, but it's like, if that's the reason they get rid of him, that really sucks. Mm -hmm. Because he should be he should be out for all the stuff that he has done to people over the years. Yeah. But, you know, whatever it takes to get rid of these people, I guess. And we we it's know all, how this it's all about, works. Yeah, it's all about hitting them at the bottom line. So, uh, Anything else that anybody wants to say about CBS, about M Moonves? They're a boring network anyway. Oh my gosh, it's my mom's favorite. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so continuing on the line of garbage people... Um, so Chris Hardwick is returning to AMC. His uh, his suspension or whatever it was is over. He will be back, and he is going to be hosting uh, Talking Dead once again when that starts up in a couple weeks. His show, Talking with Chris Hardwick, is coming back. And, um, yeah, no consequences for his actions. See, uh, AMC says that they have fully investigated Chloe Dykstra's allegations and, well, not really allegations because she didn't name him in her article for a reason, but um, they have fully investigated the situation and have concluded that Hardwick did nothing wrong. And I'm sure it is completely a coincidence that the law firm they used happens to represent Chris Hardwick's in-laws. So, 
I'm sure there's that's must be nothing nice to, to be married that. to a Hearst. <laughs> yeah. yeah, who is the, the Hearsts? I mean, I don't think that people are like, oh, it happens to represent the, the Hearsts. This is one of the right. most powerful families. Yeah, it has never had a history of anything controversial or bad or doing terrible things ever in their lives. Scandal? What? No. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I posted a tweet about this, and I think it holds true. I can tell you exactly what that internal investigation was. It was, Chris, did you do it? Nope. Good enough for us. Case closed. We solved it. Um, <laughs> well, they, they said that they talked to nine people thoroughly. So I'm sure Lydia was probably one of them, his wife. Uh, maybe a couple of production assistants. Uh, I don't All know. men, of course. <laughs> Chloe herself declined to participate because she's like, I said what I said and I'm done. So, Well, and there's, there's probably the root of the investigation right there. If he had exes who were standing up for him and his wife and she didn't participate, there's, you know, that, that's, that's that. They probably just closed the book and went, okay, let's get back to work. Yeah. Well, and, and the whole thing is like, there's, there's this assumption that, well, he didn't do this to, uh, to, to other exes. It's just like, okay. He didn't do it to other exes. That doesn't mean that he didn't do it to her. It's oh, completely. This whole idea that like you have to have. I mean, I'm sorry. There is something seriously sick that you have to sexually abuse multiple people in order for one case of sexual abuse to be taken seriously. I mean, when right. when you when someone murders someone else, you don't have to murder five people before everybody is like, hey, maybe he's a murderer. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's exactly true. That's that's a great point. And with with Chris Hardwick, um, <laughs> one of the things about him is that he has made jokes for years about how like he was such a nerd he couldn't get girls. So it's like he probably didn't have a long history of relationships to refer to in the first place. When we had Delia Harrington on, she works with victims of domestic abuse and domestic violence, and she was talking. I, I mean, it just happened that she was our guest the week that that, ha that that all came out. And she was really, you know, going into the specifics of, like, pointing out this, all these things that she's saying and all these things that he's saying in his denial are classic, classic, you know, evidence. I mean, this is exactly what happens in these cases. It's playing into every, every typical piece of these situations. I mean... It's, yeah. Well, and what, what bothers me the most about this, and again, I, I don't watch the show, so I really have no bearing on that fact, but what I love is how, remember how Me Too was supposed to be this heinous career ruiner and all these women were coming forward for their 15 minutes of fame to ruin a guy's career? So how many careers have been quote-unquote ruined? Because I'm seeing none. And in even the Weinsteins, Weinstein is an anomaly at this point. He is a fluke. He is an exception to the rule. Because even someone like Kevin Spacey, Brian Singer, all those people that have gone off the grid, there's really no trouble brewing for them. They're just... Uh, there is for Spacey. He's under, like, four or five Scotland Yard investigations. Yeah, he's under so, investigation. Yeah. There are still people pending. who are being criminally investigated. One They're being things. investigated. Yeah. I'm not buying anything until charges are lobbed. That's why well, I no, say Weinstein. Not. That's why I'm not. saying Weinstein is an anomaly. Um, the rest of them are just laying low. 
they come forward and say career ruining, but it shows that to have anything even be taken seriously, it has to be on a Weinstein right. Weinstein scale. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's, fifty plus women for women to be heard and for women to be taken. And seriously. that is my problem with this whole thing. You know, I I got hit with a couple Hardwick stands over over this the other day, and and my whole thing is is that no one's career is being ruined. They're all going back to work. They're all expecting Charlie Rose, Matt Lauer. There's been rumblings that they fully expect to be reinstated in a year, maybe two, when, quote unquote, this all dies down. And that is my problem, is that if we're not doing anything about this stuff now, we're sure as shit not going to do anything about this a year or two from now. And that's where I get very cynical about where we are. You know, I'm the old Hollywood nerd. I know how this this stuff goes out, you know, in terms of just, well, they just get more discreet. They just have this whole veneer of saying something's going to be done. And it's hard not to feel that that's going to happen when shit like this goes down. Yeah, I agree. I think at the, I said this, I think a couple days ago when we were discussing this very topic. Um, I think we do have to look at a, a larger spectrum. When you talk about things like Me Too, when you, you know, both within Hollywood and outside of Hollywood, you know, because Me Too encompasses a lot more than just the Hollywood system. Um, you have to look at it from a broad perspective, and so things like the feminist move. You know, if you look at if you look at social movements, if you look at um, movements that particularly center around gender and race and things like that, something so something happens, something changes, but it's never a complete overhaul. There are very few social movements that are going to result in a total changing of the culture. Uh, it's incremental. It's slow. There, you know, amazingly enough, we actually have made progress since the 1950s and the 1960s on a broad spectrum. That's not saying that it's where it should be, and we certainly seem to have regressed in certain places, but there is still progress being made, and I think that that's the place that we have to look at. So there will always be the Chris Hardwicks. There will always be the people who will try to come back and who will succeed at coming back. Um, the point is to to keep on pushing forward with it and to um, to do our best to punish the people who do come back. To be like, you know what? Fuck Chris Hardwick. I'm not going to watch his show. I'm not going to watch AMC. And that is like some kind of power that I have, at least as a viewer, that I can make a decision not to pay attention to these guys and not to give them my money and my and my um, my accolades, my interest. Yeah, that's but that's the thing. I think that if we all just kind of just shrug and say, well, they're not doing anything about this, then yeah, none of these people will face consequences and you'd be right, Kristen. But I think that as long as we stay vigilant, we and not just you know, the four of us, we, because, you know, we don't have any power, but, um, you know, just in general, like, just if, if all of us just band together and we keep going and we don't just accept that these people get reinstated and that they get to continue with their lives and careers, if we keep going on it, then, you know, we can actually see, see change, but it's going to be incremental. It's going to take a lot of time, so... I, I don't know how people can tune back in. If Chris Hardwick intends to come back onto that show and keep up with his same wide-eyed loud shtick as soon as he, is just exactly as it was when he left, I, I don't know how he can bounce back from this. Well, look at how many supporters he has. I mean, people were just, 
he is the every nerd, and nerds don't want to, you know, he's kind of their hero, and they're not going to let that go. So, I think, unfortunately, I think he's going to be just fine. I mean, I deleted the show off my DVR, but that's me. That's not, you know, 10 million other people, so, unfortunately. I do think it needs to be pointed out that this was an internal corporate investigation. The way that people right. are talking, it's as though like, well, well, he's been investigated and there's and there's been no wrongdoing. It's just like this is not a criminal investigation, guys. The no, cop- this is a couple of lawyers asking some questions. That benefits yeah, the, cops- the network. Exactly, the cops are not involved in this. This is not, you know, so you every, people are throwing words around like, you know, don't you believe in due process? Just like. Yeah, but we're not. We're talking about a a an investigation that's already loaded in his favor. I mean, it just mm-hmm. is. And at the end of the day, AMC wants to make money. So if they feel that they can make money doing this, that they have enough support um, to continue to to employ this dude, they'll, they'll keep on employing him. You know, that's just the way that it will be. Um, so the only way that we can actually enact real change in the face of something like this is to be like I delete it off of your DVR be like I'm not going to give them my money yeah Uh, someone else who is at least for now not facing consequences for their actions um, their alleged actions I guess I'm supposed to say but um, since this is criminal (laughs) but uh, Ed Westwick the um former star of what was the show gossip girl gossip i thought girl. he was i thought yeah. he was dead I, yeah well no i was saying i was like god i haven't heard that name in like a decade <laughs> well uh he's not being charged with rape after three women came forward and accused him because lapd was not able to find enough evidence to go forward with prosecution um, Westwick himself has said that the claims against him are, quote, provably untrue. Um, I don't know if he knows that it's really hard to prove a negative, yeah. but, um, yeah, it's not that they pro- proved that he's innocent. They just don't have enough evidence to move forward with a trial. A couple people I was, uh, I didn't click, I didn't link any of it, sorry, but a couple people were saying that the LAPD completely botched this investigation. Big and shock. And that that's why, yeah. <laughs> they never get anything wrong, are you kidding? <laughs> um, <laughs> and that that's why this is kind of happening. And then there there were also other women who came forward, but their situations supposedly fell outside of the statute of limitations. So, uh, nothing for Ed Westwick. He did lose a job over this. He had a job? Was, yeah. He was to appear in a BBC adaptation of Agatha Christie's Ordeal by Innocence, but the part was recast after the allegations broke, according to the Variety article. Yay. Well, it just shows, once again, three women. Not in a, you know, what did it take to get Weinstein down? Fifty. Three. Meh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and what I'm not understanding, and this this has nothing to do with Westwick specifically, but it's it's up there with the people that argue with me about how, oh, we need due process and we can't condemn these people unjustly. What is, I, I want someone to tell me, maybe a cop if you're listening, okay? What is sufficient evidence to prosecute a rape? Are we talking video, pictures, what? Because well, in the era of, ironically, the CBS show, Criminal Minds, and um, all the other ones I can't even think right now, uh, CSI, it's DNA. 
If you can't have DNA, but even if you have DNA, even if you have DNA, the argument is is that it's consensual, you know. And that's my thing is that I I I tell everybody rape cases in the the U.S. because I'm not going to trot out statistics from another country from 20 years ago. Um, (laughs) Rape cases are notoriously hard to prosecute in this country. I think they say for every thousand rape uh rape accusations like nine hundred nine thousand and ninety something go go unprosecuted or not guilty that's according to rain okay so my whole thing is is that short of being a nun who is attacked by weinstein and it's recorded on video with audio and dna i mean there's no way to prosecute a rape in this in this country and that's that's what's upsetting well, it's this very mentality, the, this fear of hurting the man's, you know, the attacker's career, hurting the attacker's reputation. But yet they're so quick to trot out, you know, oh, she was wearing a short skirt. Oh, no, she's slept with dozens of men in the past. She's a slut. She must, she clearly wanted it. Yeah. Just yeah, go I mean, watch this, that this is Amy. all cultural. Yes. Just go back and watch that Amy Schumer sketch where she's playing the, um, the war video game and she's the woman and um her the woman character's job in the game is to be raped and then has to fill out paperwork where they ask her questions like amy do you know he has a family (laughs) what were you doing that night she's like this is the game that i have to play (laughs) (laughs) Uh, everything is terrible you guys and a new survey from wgs what wga west tells us that it's even more terrible um, 64% of their female writers have been sexually harassed, according to a new survey that they put out. Um, this was released to Deadline, and um, it says, let's see, 64% of female writers say they've experienced sexual harassment sometime in their careers, and that, quote, a significant amount of the harassment writers experience occurs in the writer's room. Shocking. Why are men? Newsflash. We knew all this. Boys will be boys, I guess. Men, you know, I just want to say to the... Because men listen to us. Just like, guys, this... If you want to know why we don't trust you, this is why. It's not that all of you are bad. It's that there are enough of you that behave badly that we're just like, I don't trust any of you, so I'm just never going to be alone with you. Exactly. Like, we don't know who is safe and who isn't, and... I mean, if you're gonna step into an elevator and one of, and it's a crowded elevator and one of those people is a murderer, are you gonna want to be in that elevator? No, even if it's only one, that's too many. So, <sighs> yeah. So let's see. Um, the WGA, the Writers Guild. Um, let's see. They said, in responses to the survey in which about a fifth of the guild's active members participated, I don't know how many people are actually in the Writers Guild, but I'm guessing a fifth of the members is a lot of people, uh, have given us a sobering first-person insight into the conditions that make addressing the issue both essential and urgent. I really hope they mean that. I don't know how they will go about addressing those things, but I really hope that they mean it when they say that it's essential and urgent and that they'll actually do something about it. 
And to further address the issue, the Guild said it's exploring, quote, exploring the possibility of a series of member conversations about standards for a successful writing room. By prescribing sexual and other harassment among writers, these standards would enable all the writers in the room to fully participate rather than being alienated by treatment no one should have to experience. Um, yeah. Any thoughts? Anything you guys want to add? So tired. You summed it up well, I think. Okay, I know. Lauren, I'm so tired, too. Like, it's just... Uh, I, don't, I don't even... I don't know. Um, let's talk about something less tiring. Let's see. Um, <laughs> what do we have on here that's less tiring? Um... <laughs> yeah, you know what? Let's talk about... It's, it's the middle of the summer, which means it's time to start thinking about film festivals. Those are coming around. And um, TIFF released its lineup, the Toronto International Film Festival. Um, they actually get started in just um, really soon, right? Uh, uh, beginning of September, I think. September? Yeah. So uh, they released their, their uh, list of galas and special presentations. And they actually have... Oh, I don't have the percentage here, but they actually have like 26% of their special screenings are films directed by women, which is really exciting. Um, and it was funny because there was another festival, I think it was Venice, that released theirs and their percentage of female directed movies was significantly lower. They have one. And someone... Oh, one. That one. is significantly lower. <laughs> uh, and someone was like, well, maybe they just didn't get submissions from women that were good enough. And then someone else was like, um, Toronto didn't have a problem, so shush. So anyway, um, so I don't know if you guys had a chance to peruse the lineup, but we did get a question from a listener. This is from Posits Pow. If you could go to TIFF as press, what films slash performances would you be most excited to see? Kim, let's start with you. Oh, I'm scrolling the list now. Um, I know I'm going to be completely alone in saying this, but I'm still excited for First Man. Space so Jazz! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> looking looking at the list, Galveston intrigues me. Um, know nothing about it, but just it looks and sounds really interesting. Um, what else? that the uh the melissa mccarthy lee um lee israel film can, can you, you ever forgive, forgive me? me one of my most anticipated films of the year that one sound that one uh there's this is a huge list it is really bummed out the front runner uh the kindergarten teacher i will see that at some point i've been trying since sundance that was the movie I picked over American Animals, and I'm actually really glad. Now that I've seen American Animals, and I did like it, I'm really glad I chose The Kindergarten Teacher. So that's probably, that's, that's, I mean, there's more here, but that's, you know, that's probably my top five. Nice. Um, Lauren? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm scrolling through it, too. I think that Can You Ever Forgive Me is, is one of the major ones that just looks really interesting, and I love those kinds of stories. Uh, I don't give a shit about First Man. I am going to say that right now. I don't like Damien Chazelle, and I don't like Ryan Gosling, so... But I'm... what about the jazz, Lauren? What about the jazz? <laughs> See, if there was jazz in space, I would be there, totally There's gotta be! That. 
There's if, gonna be. If this was, in fact, a sequel to Space Jam, as I thought it was when you first said Space Jazz, <laughs> I was I, then I would be down for it. Just like, ooh, are we gonna like have to play jazz for the aliens? I and, can like, have a no, jazz no. competition. I can, as I said, I'm the only person who's into it. I know. I would have been into it if John Bernthal had stuck into it, but he's not. He left, and I was like, ah, oh, you <laughs> son of a bitch. Uh, no, we all know what's gonna happen. It's one small step for man, one giant leap for this sax solo, okay? <laughs> uh, if Beale Street Could Talk, which is the new Barry Jenkins film that looks really mm-hmm. interesting, it's, a, it's an adaptation of a James Baldwin novel, so I am definitely there for that. Um, Monsters and Men, they're, they're just like... I saw that one too. They're quite a lot, The Hate You Give, they're quite a lot of just very interesting... Films. Oh, and The Old Man and the Gun, which I'm just, I'm always for, like, Robert Redford and Sissy Spacek hanging out. Like, I'm totally down for that. Nice. Kristen? Okay, so I've been crying for the last week about not going to TIFF. Um, I could have applied for creds, but I knew that, like, I didn't have quote-unquote money so I probably shouldn't have done it. So I decided. Damn you and your fiscal responsibility. I know. I decided to be money. fiscally responsible because you know money is just a construct, and I should have re- realized that. Okay. Um. So I didn't apply, and then they release all this shit, and it's literally like the banner should have been like TIFF. Kristen, it's literally everything that you want. Um. So I've been really bummed for the last week because it's everything I want to see. So in terms of stuff that I was interested in, we all know I'm casually, sickeningly interested in A Star is Born because I want to make fun of it because it's not Judy Garland. Um, I don't care if that means I'm setting it up for failure. Okay, no, no, I just need to see it. Um, But in terms of things that I actually want to see, like the stuff that's making me cry, uh, Beautiful Boy is going to be premiering there. My, my sweet, tiny snowflake dumpling, Timothy Chalamet. Um, they're also going to be showing Hotel Mumbai, which has Army Hammer. And I thought that was still bound up in litigation with Weinstein. And apparently it's not anymore. So yay, but I get to miss it. Um, they're screening life itself, Karen. And I just feel like that was a personal attack on me. Um, so other thing, the front runner, I've... I, mentioned that I've been really excited to see that, um, Old Man of the Gun, um, so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, Where Hands Touch, the Ama Asante movie, um, so, yeah, I feel like Widows is gonna be there, god damn it! <sighs> so, Tiff, well played, Tiff, well played. <laughs> That's their way of saying, um, Kristen, get your butt up here next year. Oh, yeah, next year, I have pu- the goods. Next year, I'm pulling out my credit card, and I'm just gonna be like, let it run that shit, run it, because I don't care anymore. Although with my luck, the year actually go, it's gonna be like it's all like Latvian foreign films or something. It's gonna be like weird. It's gonna be none of this fun stuff. <laughs> Not that there's oh, anything I'll wrong with Latvian foreign films. Okay, I'm just saying. <laughs> there you go. Um, let's see. For me, yeah, as I mentioned, um, can you ever forgive me? One of my most anticipated films of the year, as was, um, um, oh my gosh, uh, If Beale Street Could Talk. Those were two of my top ten most anticipated. And uh, so I'm 
definitely sad that I don't get to see those at TIFF because I would really want to see them. Um, I also, I also, Kristen, want to see Hotel Mumbai. Well, that's because Dev Patel is in it. Oh, that's right. I was going to be like, wait, <laughs> what? who is this lady called Karen Peterson that's excited about an Army <laughs> Hammer movie? No, I'm excited about a Dev Patel movie. Then, that that, yeah, then I was like, oh, okay, in. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Never mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, actually, there's another Dev Patel movie that is called The Wedding Guest that will also be screening. I kind of totally love him, guys. I don't get it. Um, it's oh, it's so like pretty. what I saw. He, he grew up. It's, he grew up, and I am. It's like last night. Her. I went and saw The Spy Who Dumped Me, and my mom was like losing her shit over the Outlander dude, and I was just like. I don't get it. He's just discount. He's just discount Henry Cavill without the mustache. Like, well, is is that bit of Scottish goodness in that movie? I didn't hear he that. He is there. He's like Henry Cavill if Henry Cavill was like more boring in Superman. I have been in Re- the presence really? of Dev oh. Patel, and I love him. So, um, another movie I'm intrigued about actually because for some reason this person has been coming up a lot. Um, Emilio Estevez directed a new movie and it's called The Public and it's going to be screening at TIFF. And recently I've been having all these conversations about whatever happened to Emilio Estevez and now I'm like, oh, hmm, interesting. It's probably going to be terrible, but... He's um, obviously been spending his time teaching a ragtag group of children how to play hockey. Well, yeah, I mean, duh. (laughs) He's actually a pretty good director, though. I mean, he's done some interesting stuff so far. Yeah, I just, I hadn't seen him interconnected to anything in a long time, so I was just like, oh, that piqued my attention. And then the other one that I'm, like, really wanting to see is Red Joan with Judy Dench. So. I love how Karen's picks make her look like, like a 60-year-old lady. She's like, Judy Because Dench. I basically am. <laughs> I took a Facebook quiz that was like, answer all these questions about movies and we'll tell you what year you were born. And I got 1949, and I was like, Wait a second. My parents weren't even born yet in 1949. <laughs> I usually fall into those answers myself, so just embrace it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I was just like, my parents weren't even born yet, so come on. But yeah. Sorry, I, you know, yes, I am actually, I, I'm this weird, like, I'm partly 60-year-old lady and part 12-year-old boy, so I need in the middle at 40. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, I, I think I took one of those, like, we can tell the type of person you are quizzes once, and I think I got, like, you're a 16-year-old boy. I'm like, yeah, that sounds right, sometimes. <laughs> you know, it kind of does. Um, so, let's talk about a 16-year-old boy. So, Timothy Chalamet. Okay, Timothy- he's not 16! <laughs> Stop it! God. Uh, Timothy Chalamet, who, okay, fine, he's Anything I say needs to be done with the caveat that it's legal, okay? <laughs> <laughs> All right, fine, he's 22. Um, oh, God, anyway, this just makes me feel uh, horrid. <laughs> um, he's going to be in the remake of Dune, and Lauren has thoughts. We all have thoughts. <laughs> I think everyone has thoughts, We do, thoughts, but Lauren yeah. gets... But we specifically held this a week for Lauren, so Lauren, please. Because am I accurate in saying that I am the only one who has read the book, or am yes. I the only one who likes the book? You're the only one who finished. The You're the book. only the one only who one is aware that there was a book. <laughs> <laughs> what even is a book? Yes, exactly. What is books? I don't know. Okay, I mean, anyone who has read Dune knows, like, the entirety of Dune, not just the first chapter or whatever else. Um, I read the first half. So you, so, so you got to, like, so you got through the introduction. 
Um, yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> it's like I mean, it's it's like a nine hundred page book, guys. The first book, and there are like a bunch more after that. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh. I mean, Dune. Dune is a great book. It's a it's a seminal book. I mean, it, it is probably one of the best examples of sci-fi world building you are ever going to read. It also, as is proved by this conversation, takes forever to develop and takes forever to get into. And it's very philosophical, very religious, and very much not, it's anthropological. It's very much about the cultures of the planet, not just the action that is occurring. Um, Which is perfect for a VNO film because he can just spend 45 minutes sweeping over desert plains. Um, which is exactly what he wants to do. So I have no idea how they're going to put this film together. They, they're saying that they're that it's going to be split into two. I was having a conversation with some other people who read the book about what that will actually mean because there's a lot of world building at the beginning of the book just to just to establish you know what is happening and why before you get to the actual action of the story of Paul and of Jessica. You know, as I'm not excited for a Villeneuve film because I think he's going to turn the one of the best characters in the book into basically a virgin mother figure. Um, Jessica Paul's the, the main character's mother, the sort of Messiah's mother, is um, uh, it's almost her story. There, she's a, actually a very complicated and very unique character and a very important character. I doubt that Villeneuve is going to treat her with any degree of respect. This is going to be a white boy uh, self-insert story, and and it's going to be a messianic narrative. They're they're going to re- they're going to remove everything that's interesting about Dune, in my opinion. Um, but that being said, Chalamet seems like he's probably a, one of the best pieces of casting they could have done for this. He's young enough, and but he's also got enough gravitas to to be able to carry a role where he's he's basically the messiah of this culture. Um, and that's a very complicated space to be in. I would like to say that, yes, I did quit reading the book halfway through, but it was because of the writing style. It was really driving me crazy. The story itself, I was like, this is actually really cool and could be a great film if done well. I don't know how I feel about Villeneuve doing it, but, um, you know, I do think that it has the potential to be a great great film so i am with lauren on that uh kim kristen so i feel this is a test um because i fucking hate danny Villeneuve. he is directing in case that wasn't made clear he is directing this movie um i hate him i hate everything he's made um and usually it's stuff that includes taylor sheridan but not always um because he made blade runner 2049 which i think we all collectively disliked of varying intensity levels. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. So, I hate everything he's made. And that goes all the way back to, like, Enemy. Oh, yeah, I watched that movie, too. Um, so, I don't like him. But I, I do go see everything that my sweet baby snowflake is in. And I watched Hot Summer Nights the other day. You know what? That movie sucks. Okay? It's <laughs> it's not good. Okay? But, god damn, he's just so adorable. I just... I don't know what to do, okay? So, I feel like I'm gonna go see this, but I'm not gonna be happy. It's probably gonna be a three and a half hour hellscape of misogyny, but, I mean, he'll have good hair, right? Right? The character doesn't, like, go bald halfway through the movie for some some reason, right? Right? Please tell me right. (laughs) Can neither confirm nor deny. Uh, he's a very 
I mean, I think you'll like him as this character. I agree. Good enough uh, for me! <laughs> yeah, I, I really do. You know what's really funny, though, just talking about Vienna's, you know, inability to create feminist characters? Dune is an incredibly feminist book. Like, incredibly so. And it's not just when it comes to Jessica. It's it's when it comes to the whole structure of the society and the place that women have in it and the importance that women have in it. And I do not doubt that he is going to eliminate all of the good stuff. Like, that's what, that's what I'm frightened of about this film is that this is going to become like, oh, well, here we have, this is what Dune really is. You're going to get all of the white nerd boys talking about, oh, this is, this is exactly what Dune is. It's just like, dudes, you did not read Dune or anything that Frank Herbert has ever said about Dune, which is that it's supposed to be like this. This is not like a positive messianic story. This is supremely fucked up. That's part of what the book is about. Yeah. I have feelings. <laughs> <laughs> and they're good feelings, valid feelings. Kim? See, I have neither I've neither read the book. I briefly took a side eye at the movie during a brief Kyle McLaughlin phase, but then decided I wasn't that into it and decided not to oh, watch it. No, everybody should watch the the David Lynch version. It is batshit. It has nothing to do with the book, but it is fucking insane. I'm shocked that a movie by David Lynch is batshit crazy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's great. He's trying. Shocked. He's, he's shocked. just like he's just like oh I'm going to make a Star Wars. Ooh, what can I do with this? Yes. And then Kyle MacLachlan <laughs> takes his shirt off, and then there's like oh it's crazy, man. You got to see it. Kim's like wait I didn't get to that part. Oh, oh. <laughs> it's a great film. Like Kyle MacLachlan and and Young Sting have a shirtless fight. It's exciting. <laughs> Speaking of someone else who will probably have a shirtless fight, uh, Ryan Reynolds. To... <laughs> I'm sorry, I interrupted Kim though. <laughs> I know. Kim, did you have anything else you wanted to say? No, no, okay. no. That was so that's, that's, that's a perfect with transition. With that being said, who do you get to play the Sting character in the new movie? Uh, I don't know. He's he's supposed to be kind of a actually when you just asked, that's the first person that popped into my head is Army Hammer. Oh my god, do it, please! Okay! Because he's supposed to be this very beautiful, like, perfect specimen uh, who is also just a total psychopath. Yes, do that it. is Army Hammer right okay. there. Okay, be a noob if you're listening, and I know you are, okay? Because I'm just gonna guess you are, okay? <laughs> do this, and then we can talk about, like, a quarter of the bad shit I've said. Just a quarter, just a quarter, okay? But we could talk about it. I'm just saying, just make it happen. Baby steps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. So Ryan Reynolds wants to do an R-rated Home Alone um, called Stoned Alone. It's it's funny because people are acting like this is a serious movie. Or not serious. Like, they, they're recognizing it's a comedy. But to me, this sounds more like a sort of a spoof on Home Alone. Um, not something that would be in the universe of the wet bandits and all that but anyway yeah so he wants to do the article is not pulling up for some reason um oh here we go yeah so basically it would center uh it would be something uh sorry this i don't know what's going on with this deadline article but it's being really goofy right now okay uh so ryan reynolds is attached he will star and produce the this movie which has a female director Augustine Frizzell um and uh she directed the movie Never Going Back which premiered at Sundance and is coming out A24 picked it up so that's coming out soon 
Um, and she's directing a couple of other things. One's going to HBO. A movie called The Package is going to Netflix. Um, but yeah, so basically this is Ryan Reynolds plays a dude. I'm guessing he's the, the hero of the story. Uh, who misses his plane heading off for a uh, holiday ski vacation and um, his house gets broken into and he's all super high and is paranoid so then madness ensues what what threw me off was the how this is getting connected how this is suddenly getting so fully connected to the home alone universe that's why i say i think it's a parody of it it sounds like unless his name is kevin McAllister, it's (laughs) you really could just call this a completely original script and put it out there we don't need to call it a reboot or a rehash or whatever the hell yeah this sounds stupid i i have no yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. I, I, this is exactly the kind of movie I would not want to see. So, but you know, I'm not gonna say other people can't. That's fine. Other people, this is the kind of movie that a lot of other people like. I just don't happen to be one of them. Um, kind of like Charlie's Angels, which is coming back again for some reason. Uh, Kristen. What say you about this? I know you've been the most vocal about Charlie's Angels in the past. Vocal? I don't know what vocal means. I mean, I've (laughs) seen both movies numerous times. That's about it. And you've talked about them numerous times. I have talked... Oh, wait. You've talked about a person from... (laughs) I reviewed the second movie. And by the way, the second movie is still... The movies aren't good, okay? I would never in any universe say the movies are good. The movies are the most pure definition of mindless entertainment with a very confused definition of what feminism looks like, okay? But that's not to say that I don't think both of them are worth watching, okay? First one is actually a movie, so there's that, okay? You know, and it's entertaining. It's a nice, it's a nice, like, if you got an hour and a half to waste, you can watch that. The sequel is utterly batshit insane and makes not a lick of sense, but... Justin Theroux gets the Cape Fear theme. Why? Why does that play every time he shows up? I don't know. And his fighting style, if we had to coin it, is literally, if you think I'm fucking something, I might be. That's, yeah, yeah it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> okay, then. Okay, so they're, they're going to remake it um, with Elizabeth Banks is uh, confirmed to direct. And it's going to be Kristen Stewart, Naomi Scott, and Ella Balinska. Um, playing the the trio, um, and Elizabeth Banks is also going to star as the new take on Bosley, which is like their right hand um, person. I, I guess um, in the so I he's the one who's their go between yes. between Charlie and the Angels. He was played by uh, Bill Murray in the yeah, and and Bernie Mac in the sequel. Um, yeah, I've not watched the television shows. Um, I know that people like the original um, series. Um, I just am a little turned off by this whole thing. Um, a, it is an incredibly. I know that Naomi Scott and Ella Balinska are not white, but they're light. And I was kind of like, we. This was a movie that was originally envisioned as like Kristen Stewart, Lupita Nyong'o, and like somebody else. Um, so these are still three hot chicks. Um, 
I just really wanted... Charlie's Angels is one of those movies that, unless you do a complete 360, it's always going to feel a little scummy. Um, so, like, is Charlie going to be a lady? That would be cool. Because if they're still taking orders from a dude, um, I'm sorry, it's hard not to sympathize with the villain in, in the sequel movie. Because Demi Moore had a point, like, who the fuck wants to take orders from some dude that's not even around, okay? Like, really? Um, so yeah, I have, I have issues, but it's gonna come out next September. Woohoo. Yay. Just get Justin Thoreau back, that's all I ask. He could be, <laughs> like, a hot, half-naked waiter. That's, that's cool. Objectify the men, Liz. Just do it. <laughs> I think she's okay with that. Um, and last bit of news, Andy Serkis's Mowgli, which is the darker, more dramatic version of The Jungle Book, is no longer being released by Warner Brothers. Uh, they have sold it to Netflix, and it will be released by Netflix on Netflix somewhere in 2019. Wasn't this a movie that had an October 19th release date and was getting yes. a full court press from Warner's, and then they just send it to netflix yeah yeah i'm not sure what happened um i don't think anybody I, is sure what happened this was like no. a blind it's like side. little concerning doesn't it yeah well last i knew i thought that the film was completed so i'm guessing that that warner brothers just has other stuff they want to focus on and they know that this isn't going to be a player like Jungle Book was a couple years ago. So I think they just said, eh, we have an opportunity to dump it. Let's just the, go ahead. The argument I heard is that Warner's knows that their their stuff right now are proven entities, which is like Fantastic Beasts and mm -hmm. um, DC um, EU. So the, the logic that I've heard on Twitter is that they realize that this was not going to be a huge moneymaker and they just decided that there was no reason to keep it on the books for it to lose money. Yeah. It's still a really bizarre decision. It is, but, you know, honestly, in the age of Netflix, it's not that surprising anymore. And, I mean, these kinds of things do tend to happen. Not usually this close to the release of something, but... Yeah, I don't know. Um, so you can see that next year. After... Um, who knows? I don't even know if there's if Netflix is, has decided when they're going to release it. And I'm also really curious if they're still going to do a theatrical release, like a day and date, uh, so that it is eligible for any text. But I don't know. We'll find all that out later. Uh, anybody have anything they want to say about it? Anybody particularly like bummed that they don't get to see it this year? Okay, then. <laughs> so <laughs> there were some trailers this week. Uh, I totally forgot to watch the Roma trailer. Who wants to talk about that one? <laughs> it's water being sloshed around. <laughs> For two minutes and 30 seconds. Yeah. And you watched every second of it. Um, I watched about... I did, I did. I felt betrayed by that trailer. I watched about a minute, and then I was like, fuck this, I got a life, so I'm good. <laughs> I, I, I looked up, and I, I went, fuck Alfonso Cuaron, and then I, yeah, it's okay, never mind. Like, I almost wanted to think it was a troll like bit, a bit of trolling like a rick roll like it did that's like, what it i'm so like. awesome fanboys like jacket to me that i could literally show them water being sloshed around and attach my name and they're gonna think it's the second coming 
Which which was exactly this is the, kind of... the Twitter reaction. There, I saw so many primarily dudes going like, oh, this is so fascinating. I've watched this trailer like three times. Just like, have you seriously watched Water Sloshing Around? Like, it's not even inter- It's not even like mesmerizing. This is not an experimental film or anything like that. It's just like, this is not a trailer for anything. This is Water Sloshing Around. Oh my gosh. This is now the I kind of high art up. bullshit that they're making fun of and sorry to bother you. Exactly. Yeah, this is exactly <laughs> the the artsy like what Tessa Thompson's art show is about, right? Okay, this is exactly what it is. Um yeah, and this is a movie it's supposed to chronicle a year in the life of a middle class family in Mexico in the early 70s. It's all um I I heard uh, all untested actors. Is that true? I don't know. I yeah, I heard it was like all new performers. It's going to be all in Spanish. So if you don't like subtitles, you're shit out of luck. Um I, I mean, Quaron and I, I I get along with him. Like I don't objectively despise his work. Um although I don't know if I'd say Alfonso Quaron has had a good movie since The Little Princess. <laughs> hey, I love Gravity, so Oh, I, I, I hate to dogpile on this trend, but I, because I, I was just discussing the writer last night with some people, I really, I'm not crazy about the whole untested actor trend that we're seeing. I mean, you can capture some real gems in there, but my, I haven't liked it. I mean, maybe it's just in my taste, but it just hasn't worked for me. This is a reminder that bankability means nothing. And yes, even though some <laughs> untested actors are not good, that if you are a director with a big name, you can literally cast whoever the fuck you want, okay? So the next time somebody tells me that we don't need disabled actors, we don't need trans actors, I'm going to point to Alfonso fucking Cuarón. There you go. Well, and it, it seems like they think that they're doing like a an Italian neorealist thing where we're we're all going to be ma- making bicycle thieves or something like that. It's, Definitely. And it's like, I mean, for every one bicycle thieves, you're going to have at least ten movies that just don't do anything. Um, you know, let's look at Boyhood. <laughs> uh, and I mean, the and the writer was, the writer I thought was a great film and it worked really well and and some of that was because it wasn't solely dependent upon its actors. It was it was very much guided by a very good, very strong directing, um, which you know maybe Corona will pull that out. But uh, it's it's such a crapshoot when it comes down to it. By the way, it comes out October fifth. Uh, if anybody wants to see, hopefully more than water being sloshed around. Oh no, there is more because there's a plane that flies overhead. I just saw the reflection of it. Yes, and what does that mean? Who cares? Don't understand that. that. Eight fan, you know, there will be fanboys lining up to tell you. They're gonna be like, actually, Karen, it means the high flying aspirations of a life deferred. Actually, it means my high flying fist against your jaw. Oh, goodness. Um, some other trailers came out last weekend at Comic-Con. Um, we got the... We finally got the long-awaited trailer for Lisa Frank the movie. Oh, I mean, sorry, Aquaman. Um, it's called Lisa Frank Fucks Fish. Okay, God. <laughs> I 
keep getting that wrong. Yeah. Um. Or Lisa Frank Fox. Either way, I, whatever you want to call it, okay? Lisa Frank is front and center in this movie. Lisa Frank's Aquaman. But, yeah. I'm down for that, yes. man. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I, I watched the um, trailer great. for this. I watched the trailer for this with my mom, okay? So I could get a full perspective. Okay, my mother would sell her soul right the second for Jason Momoa. She would she would slit my throat, I'm pretty sure, okay, if he was in the room. Um, I don't get that. But that's that's her thing, okay? So we both watched this trailer. She said, and I quote, I don't give a fuck what it's about. I want it now. Okay, so she's into Which it. Which I believe is what I said about Bad Times at the El Royale. That exa- that's what we all said about <laughs> Bad Times at the El Royale. Um, I watched it and I said, this is this is a joke, right? This is a movie? This is, this is actually the movie. Okay. So yeah, it's Lisa Frank and Fish. Um, it's certainly colorful. Amber Heard's got a unique accent. Um, I'm, I don't understand what the fuck this movie is. It looks like crap, but I, I'll try. I'll give it a whirl. Like, what do I have to do December 21st? Nothing. So, I mean, I guess, but what the fuck is I, this? <laughs> I get the sense that this is DC trying to sort of lighten themselves just a little bit, which I quite frank, because there were a lot of jokes in that trailer. Like, there's a lot of Jason Momoa making jokes, which I am totally fine with. If they want to try to be a little bit less self-serious about their their world building, then I am totally down for that. Yeah, it looks looks odd, but I am also on your mom's side in that I will just watch (laughs) Jason Momoa flex his forearms for however many hours he wants to do that, and I am totally down for it. Kim? That makes three of us, or, t- or two of us, I guess. I Jason Momoa and Ezra Miller were my two favorite parts of Justice League. So while I'm very worried about the technical aspect of this, because I mean, the underwater portions in Justice League were not good, so I hope they've, the reason why this is delayed is that they've been working on some of that, but I, I have my definite fair share of concerns on how this movie is going to look but I like Jason Momoa's take on the character and I will watch Jason Momoa flex whatever the hell he wants to for two hours I'll be there it's really funny because I'm like eh Jason Momoa yeah see fine (laughs) but but I am a big fan of James Wan as a director that's the other thing well, and then we yeah. also know who the villain is in this movie as well. Oh, and we know I love him. Uh, <laughs> I was getting there. I was getting there. But I love James Wan. And um, I was actually really surprised when I saw the trailer. Because I was just like, this looks like the opposite of every James Wan movie ever. So, um, I don't know. I'm very... Obviously, I'm going to go see it. I'm just... I'm not sure what to expect, but then also Aquaman's always been the most ridiculous character. Mm -hmm. I mean, they always make fun of how just silly and dumb Aquaman as a character is. And so, I mean, if they're going to play that up, all right, cool. I'm, I'm here for it. I mean, it cannot possibly be as bad as Batman versus Superman or Justice League. So, um, yeah. And then also, 
We've got Nicole Kidman. She's in it, and she's awesome. You've got Dolph Lundgren. Like, where's he been? <laughs> and um, Patrick Wilson. So, yeah, I'm here for it. That's that's fun. I love how um, I love how you could really boil this down into like Stefan terms. Like this movie has everything. Lisa Frank Fish. Yeah. Nicole Kidman. Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> I like Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, but mostly for me, the only thing that's keeping me interested, honestly, is James Wan as the director. And so I'm really curious to see what he does with a big, giant, budget superhero movie. So. December 21st. Um, enough... What's that? It comes out December 21st. Yes. And another big, giant superhero movie trailer that we got this week. Also DC. Um, Shazam. Starring Mon. Zachary Levi. Otherwise known as Big, the superhero movie. You stole yeah. my joke, Kristen. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Give pro- proper attribution, please. Um, <laughs> Kim, why don't you go ahead and talk about this? Well, I, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking. I, I was bored with that trailer. Um, but I also don't know how much of that... Up until... This movie has been probably the worst thing for Zachary Levi because it started giving him more of a platform to start opening his mouth. Yeah. I he mm-hmm. had a very large following with Chuck. I I I've always liked the guy. And then as soon as he started making this, people started following him, people started caring what he was saying. And then he started thinking people cared about what he said. And he has proven himself to be not not a not a stellar person. I mean, it's with his comments on race, comments on gender, it's he's he's I guess he I guess the best way to say it is he belongs in the internet fanboy community, which I guess should shock no one. Yeah, he but turned out to be very much just a typical white geek dude yeah typical white privileged geek and having this trailer come out with that fresh in my mind it definitely hampered it for me i don't i'm trying to think if i would have liked it better with a different actor in the lead i mean stylistically it looked fine but it did it looked exactly like big the superhero movie for me I know nothing about Shazam the character, but this, what the trailer showed me, I honestly don't know if I would go see this one. Yeah, I'm I'm exactly in the same boat. Um, it's directed by David Sandberg, who has only made two two films. Um, he did the, the big screen adaptation of Lights Out, which was a short that he had made that was great as a short, shitty as a movie. Um, and then he did Annabelle Creation, which was actually not that bad. But neither one of those scream, I should make a multi-million dollar superhero movie. Um, so this looks silly. Um, for me, I think DC's big shift into we're, we're totally fun now um, feels like that 40-year-old man who's like, I'm down with the kids. I'm going to have a party and it's going to go to 11 o'clock. Um, so I, I don't buy it. I think it's a little overbearing. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't like Zachary Levi just in general. Um, so yeah, this this doesn't look like it's for me. 
He is a lesser talented John Krasinski. Yeah, that's exactly what I was like. Okay, maybe if John yeah. Krasinski was in this, I'd have I'd have gotten it. And I know for a long time people said Army Hammer should have played this character because he is really like a nine year old boy in inside. <laughs> I was like, oh, I could totally see that. Yeah, Zachary Levi, I I don't get him. I've never gotten him. He's always been discount John Krasinski. Yep, that's exactly right. So that comes out April fifth. I'm still disappointed that and this is not a remake of the Shaquille O'Neal film Kazam, which is what I oh! thought it was for a very long time. And I was just like, wait a minute, why are they? Re- what is that? that? I don't get it. Why are they doing this- that? And then I realized it's two different characters. So I just, if Sinbad does not have a cameo in this, then they shouldn't even be making it. This episode honestly. is sponsored by all those 90 mo- 90s movies that you didn't really think were relevant, but still are, according to Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and another trailer that came out this uh, at Comic Con was Godzilla King of the Monsters, which is the sequel to Godzilla. Um, it's the next chapter in Warner Brothers Pictures and Legendary Pictures Cinematic Monsterverse. So we've already seen Godzilla. We got Kong Skull Island, which connects the two. And even though Kong Skull Island took place like 30 years before. So we're not sure how those will connect, but um, this is the next chapter. Millie Bobby Brown is in it. Bradley Whitford, Vera Farmiga, um, some other people. Sally Hawkins, Kyle Chandler. Um, Who's excited for this one? So this is another example of white men failing upwards. So this is directed by by Michael Dougherty, who wrote a lot of movies. He wrote um, X-Men 2 and Superman Returns and a bunch of other things, but he's only directed two feature films. He did Trick or Treat, which is fantastic, and Krampus, which sucks. Uh, Fuck you. I, I love <laughs> Krampus. Hey, you don't, you don't speak badly of Krampus. I didn't. I wanted that movie to be great, I and I just was it not, was. No, I was so you, not it into it. Maybe maybe I'll try it again this Christmas. Maybe I'll try it again. Okay, maybe after three years, it'll have gotten better. I don't know. Uh, but but either way, I don't think either Except one of those... Except that you're wrong. Except <laughs> that you're wrong, Kristen. And I can't. I can't. I can't. Um, but but either way, that, that doesn't feel like multi-million dollar monster movie. I don't know. Um, I mean... Krampus was a multi-million dollar monster movie. <laughs> Um, if this takes did... place in the Krampus universe, I am totally for that. I want to see Godzilla <gasps> and Krampus crazy. fight each other. I did see, yes. what is it, the Godzilla movie that came out a couple years ago. Is there a consensus that that's good? Because I'm also thinking that one was not great. I well, that's never what I was just going to say. I thought the fanboys... Now, I, I am an Aaron Taylor Johnson fangirl for some reason. I don't know why. He's I like him in that Scott Eastwood way. So I saw that and I liked it, but I thought the fanboys told me that it was crap and it was terrible and so why are we making a second one, guys? I don't understand. Yeah, the first Godzilla is a really great opening and then they get rid of the actual like Oscar nominated cast and you're just left with Aaron Taylor Johnson and Elizabeth Olsen. Now ordinarily I would love to hang out with Elizabeth Olsen for 90 minutes because I think she is she is amazing but but you had to hang out with Aaron we had Taylor to hang Johnson. out with Aaron Taylor Johnson and we also had to hang out with Elizabeth Olsen who literally was the worst part of the movie who did absolutely nothing um and it's a movie that despite being called Godzilla really doesn't actually want to show you Godzilla 
Well, there's more fun and, and interest when you keep it, you know, when you keep the monster as little seen as possible, I think. Don't sell me a movie where we're gonna see Godzilla and then there's literally a scene where they close the door and they're like, nope, fuck you, we're not gonna show you that. <laughs> I can't. Yeah, I, I can't know. abide by That's that. So true. Can't abide by that. <laughs> I never saw the first one, so. Uh, maybe you would like it. I, d I don't know. Now I'm kind of interested in you watching it. <laughs> oh, I plan to. See, it's just I one am... of those I just never got around to it at the time and I haven't. I enjoyed it, but I was the only person who I talked to who did. Oh, I know tons of people who liked it. Really? Mm-hmm. The sequel comes out May yeah. 31st. It does. Okay. And so that's going to do it for trailers. Let's go into a couple of reviews. Um, okay, so Kristen, you've been dying to talk about blind spotting for a couple weeks now, so let's start there. I love this um, movie so much. Yeah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say, and then I'll let you just have it. Um, so I saw this at Sundance. This was actually the very first film I saw at Sundance this year, and when I watched it, I was I thought it was really good, but I ultimately was. Um, a little bit taken out of the story in a lot of places because of the fact that it goes from being super hilariously funny to really dark and dramatic with basically no transitions in between. And for me, that was very troubling. What I've come to think about over the, and I'm going to see it again this weekend actually, but what I've come to think about over the months since I've, you know, been excited for people, other people to get to see it and I've heard other reactions. I also saw it at eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so, I think that might be part of why the lack of transitions was so difficult for me. So I'm really excited to see the film again. I think it's great. It's about two friends in Oakland that, um, you know, they've had a very interesting, um, you know, very typical, I think, life where they don't, they grew up without money. They grew up without a lot of opportunities. One of them, David Diggs, uh, he had some sort of a criminal situation and he's been on probation uh for or parole for the last year he's three days from the end of his parole and he's been staying in a halfway house and with three days to go and a lot of rules very strict rules on him he witnesses a police shooting and that has a lot of um serious uh implications for him and and um yeah Kristen, why don't you talk about it? um so so i i will I'll co return, come back to Karen's comments in a second. I, I love this movie. I said that this movie is probably the best movie of the year. It will be hard for anything to dethrone it for me. I, I, I adore this movie. I'm still thinking about it, and I saw it two weeks ago, and I'm taking my mom to go see it tomorrow. Um, I love that it's it's written by the stars. It's written by Debbie Diggs and Raphael Casal, and... They both, you know, Diggs especially, if you've seen him in Hamilton, is is fantastic at kind of infusing um, lyricism into his, his even in something like, you know, his work in Blackish. You know, he's just got this this great ability to deliver lines. And much of Blind Spotting is this kind of hip hop influenced um, tone poem almost in a sense. Like the whole third act, there is a confrontation that is told all in hip hop verse. Um, and it's it's powerful, it's intense, it's it's melodious almost. Uh, it's very weird, and I, I like that because it's catering to a generation that is raised on on trying to get a message through a different means. Um, and so I, I like that aspect. Um, it shows Oakland 
you know, it's hard not to compare it to Sorry to Bother You because they're both um, looks at what is happening in Oakland right now with the gentrification and everything. And so there's a lot of really sly composition that is done in the movie by the director in terms of showing characters talking, but you're also supposed to be looking at the frame and what's around them and how that's playing into into things. So not only is there an opening credit scene where it's like showing the this the Whole Foods with like the liquor store or these multi-million, you know, there's a scene where the characters will go around a corner and it's multi-million dollar looking condos and then they'll turn another corner and it's just this like shack. Um, so every, I mean, it's a movie where you have to literally look at everything. Everything is saying something. Um, and it's showing something about how the country is going around you. It's not enough to look at just race relations and police brutality. You have to be looking at what is going on around that that fosters all of that. Um, it's a movie that plays with psychology a little bit and it calls out, it brings, it brings out some of the stuff there. Um, in terms of what Karen was saying with the humor, um, I have to attribute this to Candace Frederick because she brought it up on Twitter and I think it's important, is she was saying, if you're finding the movie humorous, you're you're looking at it through the the character of Miles's eyes, played by Rafael Casal. She's all really. If you're looking at it through David Diggs's eyes, nothing is funny. He's the one trying to not make this you know stupid stuff acceptable because of of how he is perceived. A lot of the movie is about perception and identity and how your neighborhood and the concept of race, it, it plays really interestingly with that. It's a very multi-layered rich film. Um, and if, if both of the leads are not in contention and they're not in the conversation come Oscar time, I'm gonna be very disappointed because they both give really, really great performances. Um, David Diggs, I've, I've loved him since Hamilton. I think he's brilliant. Um, I'm fairly confident that I'm in love with Rafael Casal now. I've heard him speak about the movie and he is incredibly articulate. And I love a man who is eloquent. So kudos to him. Um, so I, I love this movie. I thought it was fantastic, and I need to go see it again ASAP. <laughs> I don't know how anybody can watch that scene in the beauty shop and not laugh their guts out. That's true. I think. I, I mean, I'm not <laughs> saying that parts of it aren't meant to be taken fun, you know, humorously. There is humor, yeah. And that that scene especially is great. Um, but there's <laughs> so there's a whole. I mean, a lot of the stuff like um like there's a scene. You know, Rafael Casal's character Miles is the hothead. And everything is, and he's allowed to be a hothead because he's white. Um, and so, like, when he's having a meltdown with some guy that parks his car in front of them and he's, like, honking the horn, it, all of that has totally different implications for the audience if you're if you're sympathizing with, with D.B. Diggs' character, who is, like, he's drawing attention to us, he needs to quit, I'm the black guy in this situation. <laughs> um, so it's, it's really, again, a multi-layered film that I think requires multiple viewings to appreciate all of that and it it's thankfully very very you know hu there is humor in it so that it fosters the need to watch it more than once mm -hmm. yeah that's i'm really looking forward to seeing it again because i think that um it will be a completely different experience not watching it at eight in the morning not watching it when i've been up until three in the morning the night before that's true and <laughs> so. i'm fairly confident i made a twitter deal um because i was talking on twitter about how I'm fairly confident that Rafael Casal could play Elmer Gantry if they ever remade Elmer Gantry with Burt Lancaster. He's essentially auditioning for it. Um, and he said he was cool with that and they should do that. And I was like, oh my god, I just made a Twitter deal. I made a movie, so somebody give me the money to actually make this. Just throwing that out there. 
There you go. So, uh, blind spotting is now in limited uh, in select cities, and it expands. Does it expand this weekend? I heard it expands this weekend. Yes, and I think okay. I think yeah. So, so it should be it should be fairly easy to see. Look for it near you. Yeah, look for it near you. So I know it's playing at the Regal down the street. So for me, so yeah, look for it. Um, let's see. I'm saving obviously the best for last. So Lauren, <laughs> why don't you talk about Fantasia? Hey. Uh, no, I just wanted to give a quick plug for Fantasia again, because I've been um, slowly watching a bunch of screeners from there, and there, there's some very interesting films. One of the films that is actually showing, I believe today, the day that we are recording, so it will have shown, and um, and my review will be up by the time the, the this episode comes out, uh, is a Hitchcockian, literally a Hitchcockian thriller, as in it is a retelling of um, Rear Window. Directed by, I believe, a first-time female director from South Africa. Set So it's essentially Rear Window set in a, in a slum of Cape Town. And it's a fascinating film. It is She plays a lot with perspective and a lot with um, uh, images that that are just like, she, she plays with some of the set pieces that Rear Window used but to completely different effects. And because of the setting, because of race relations, because of the relationship between poverty and, um, and location in, in Cape Town and in South Africa, it's a fascinating film, it's called Number 37. I believe that she actually won a director award at Fantasia for this movie. It is absolutely something to watch for. Like I will, you know, there's there's a more complete review online, but it's it's just something that I really want people to look out for. The other thing that I wanted to mention very quickly is I got a chance last week. The reason why I wasn't on um, the podcast last week was because I was going to see a number of um, film, very early films from female directors uh, that were basically pioneers in Hollywood in the teens. And one of them is a movie called Where Are All My Children? Or Where Are My Children? Which is a, a movie directed and written by Lois Weber, who's one of kind of the pioneer filmmakers of, um, of the teens in Hollywood. And is, it deals very, very explicitly with birth control and abortion. And it is a fascinating film, both for its uh, topicality, you know, this is something that we are talking about right now, and also because it is very much of its time. The Some of the political and the emotional discussions that are going on in the film are very regressive uh, in the way that we look at it, but it is very much told from, from a female perspective and talks about the issues of birth control in the, you know, 1916. This is one of the most successful films for Universal in 1916. And it's female-directed, female-written. And this this program that BAM was showing um, is called Pioneers and has been traveling. I think that it's in L.A. now. It is absolutely something to check out. These are fantastic films made by fantastic female directors and completely gives the lie to this idea that women just were never interested in filmmaking. Um, this It's incredibly important and and when the Blu-rays and the DVDs come out of all of these films, it's going to come out on Kino, I think, in November, and is really something to check out. Like, But if you can see them on the big screen, it is worth it. Awesome. Thank you so much. That sounds like... I was reading... Well, I was reading your tweets and then some other people that were part participating in that, and I was just so jealous that I couldn't be there, because it sounded amazing. So, 
Yeah, it's something to watch for, definitely. Kino is doing great work in this. They really are. So, very cool. Thank you. All right, so um, in case you haven't heard and haven't been to the movies in 2018, you might not know, but my boyfriend's movie is finally out <laughs> this weekend. And um, so let's see. Lauren, did you get around to seeing it yet? No. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, no, okay, no, no, no. I know. But, well, I won't see it if MoviePass dies, so I hate to tell you. <laughs> But well, no, it's still around this weekend, although it's apparently not covering Mission Impossible, according to what I was just looking at. But anyway, um, all right. So let's start with Kristen and then Kim and then I'll finish out. So, OK, I've I've officially now seen all of the Mission Impossibles. I finally went back and I saw one. Um, yay. yay. So there's there's that. Um, so I saw this and you know, I, I liked it. I still think the high point is Ghost Protocol. Um, I think that's still the best of the best. Um, I certainly like this more than Rogue Nation, though, uh, if we're talking the Macquarie-directed ones. Um, I did think it was the most Mission Impossibleiest one of them all. Um, so if you've really seen all the others, then you've definitely seen this one. Um, that's to say that it's a very confusing exposition that throws in everything from plutonium to mad doctors to a MacGuffin name all of that um but all of that's pretty irrelevant once things actually start moving um and it was fine I I mean I it's two and a half hours it did feel long to me um Tom Cruise is solid I mean he's played this role six times now so um we don't really expect him to do much um deep-rooted acting but there is a little bit of uh, a moment of tenderness with a character that we thought was gone that comes back. Um, but really, you, I don't think anybody watches this for the acting. You know, you're watching this for the action scenes. And there are some really good action scenes. Um, there's a helicopter game of chicken that's really intense. Um, the bathroom fight that's in the trailer is the high point. I mean, I don't think the movie actually gets any better than that scene. Um, because it is brutal and crazy and holy shit. Um... I, I do think maybe some of the action scenes in The Spy Who Dumped Me were a little bit better, though. Um, Rebecca Ferguson's good. I had no problems with everybody. Really, I think, though, that Henry Cavill was MVP. The mustache, for starters, really helps. Um, and it just proves that he's really wasted in Superman movies because he actually gets, like, personality in this film. Um, I did not believe the twist at the end because, A, it's telegraphed from a mile away, and, B, I just don't believe... If we're, t if we're, if well, you can't believe Josh Brolin can play a doctor, you're not gonna buy the third act of this movie. Um, but, but he's really good. Um, he's intimidating, and again, I don't think I'll ever watch this movie again. But I thought it was worth watching. That's damning it with faint praise. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kristen. Kim. I have to echo, I mean, first, the love for the action scenes. I thought, and I am not a seasoned viewer. I think I have seen all but the most recent one in theaters, and then I haven't watched them since, though I was thinking about John Woo lately and thinking I probably should rewatch number two at some two point. Two is great! Yeah! <laughs> and the, I mean, the high point for me in this one, I was acting 
blown away by those action scenes. I really want to use a line, but I know I think I'm stealing it from Karen and I want to let her use it a little bit later on. Tom Cruise runs. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, does Tom Cruise run. And that, the, between that and for me, I think the bathroom sequence and the motorcycle chase the wrong way around the, what, the Arc de Triomphe in Mm -hmm. Paris, I those sequences were absolutely stellar in terms of how they were done. The, yeah, they were they weren't overcutting, which movies like this are prone to do. They let the action play out. Um, Cruz did damn good work within. Um, in terms of uh, script, I keep seeing people complimenting the script and saying how amazing the story was. I that I disagree with. To me, it was packed and loaded with MacGuffins, and you're not going to a movie like this to really enjoy a good script um, beyond the third act being telegraphed a mile away, which I picked up as well. Um, My reactions to Henry Cavill, I was, I think I had the exact opposite reaction actually than you did, Kristen. I was sitting there just realizing, to me, he could only play one character. I found him incredibly boring. I found no personality there whatsoever. I forgive. I forgive and you, Kim. Was, <laughs> well, you and I both. You and I both agreed. We saw a lot of Man from Uncle in this movie. Oh yeah. Oh no. And that's to me. That's why Man from Uncle was so exactly. Good, I just it was letting him play the role he was. I born kept to watching this. There is literally a scene in this movie that they did in Man from Uncle. The same scene. And I can't believe I didn't think of that. When I, when you pointed that out, I was like, damn, you're right. That's because I've seen The Man from U.N.C.L.E. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and the other, while both of the female characters were good, I have to ask, does Tom Cruise have it, is it contractually obligated that there are no women who are more interesting? Well, they say in the, you know, he's purging his That demons. he has to be the most interesting character in this film because, my God, there was, there's, and it would be, it's, I'm trying to describe the scene I'm thinking of without spoiling it, but it comes at the very end. And it's just, everything is so, it was just, all of the dialogue and all of this. There's this one point where one character is, you know, thank you, Ethan. You made me who I am. I am why I am because of you, Ethan. And it was, these women were so close to being so interesting for me, but then it just, you're there for Tom Cruise. And he, he did a damn good job. He carries the movie. I can't knock it. I had a hell of a lot of fun with it, but it's exactly what it's supposed to be at this point in the summer. So, um, my, my review, I actually, a little bit stole this from one of the other writers. We happened to be at the screening together and I was giving him crap that he was the one that was assigned to review it. And then he's like, no, you just do it. And I'm like, okay. So I did. Um, (laughs) but, uh, anyway, so I started off my review by saying there are action movies and then there are Tom Cruise action movies. Mission Impossible Fallout is quite possibly the Tom Cruisiest action movie ever made. (laughs) That was the line I was thinking of. I thought it might have been. But yeah, that's the thing. Because I saw Skyscraper a couple weeks ago, and everyone makes a big deal about Dwayne Johnson being this big action hero. And I'm like, "Mm, no. Because nobody does what Tom Cruise does. And the thing that's so great about the Mission Impossible films is how much he really does want to 
give the the viewers a show. He wants to give the audience something really exciting. And like I was watching a special feature for Ghost Protocol, which Kristen, I do agree. I think that that is still the best of the six. Um, I think it's Ghost Protocol and then like everything else is kind of tied <laughs> for next. But um, but yeah, so it's just it's really fascinating to watch how how focused he is on making sure that what they do is something that the audience can really feel connected to. And it's so important to him. And that's why he learns how to do his own stunts. That's why he puts so much effort into, I mean, so apparently Christopher McQuarrie did a Q and a at the screening in New York. And he was saying that it takes six months to learn to do the kind of piloting that, that they do for the helicopters in that big, you know, big scene at the end. And he's like, well, and that's if they work on it six hours a day. And so Tom Cruise is like, well, what do people do with the other 18 hours a day? And he mastered it in six weeks. So, I mean, he basically has, like, no social life. This is what he does with all of his time. But it's because he cares so much about the films that he's making. So, And it really comes through in Fallout. And I agree. I think that there are times where the story gets a little bit muddled. And I think that some of the action scenes, while they were amazing, they went on a little too long. But uh, overall, it's just such a fun show. I mean, this is the kind of movie that summer movies should be. There is stuff to to think about. It's not just straight up just one action you know scene to the next. There's a lot of, of other stuff that's going on, and there are stakes. And that's the other thing about these movies is it's like, even though you know, like, well, they're not going to kill Ethan Hunt 20 minutes in, there's still that element of, like, maybe they are like he might not make it you know and and so it's like even when you logically know something's not going to happen or something will happen you still feel it and it's still intense and and exciting and i love all the background characters or the side characters i think bing rames and simon pegg are a lot of fun um i think sean harris is a fun villain um i don't love henry cavill and i thought he was just you know fine here. I didn't think there was anything that particularly exciting about him. Rebecca Ferguson was such a welcome addition in Rogue Nation and I love that they brought her back for this one and I really love that they actually have a female actress that is able to be just as much of a badass. No, we don't know much about her, but we actually don't really know much about Ethan's character either. But she gets to be just as much of a badass as him, and she gets to have awesome scenes too, and, and really great action. So it's, it's I love it. I think that Christopher McQuarrie did a, a good job. Um, I, yeah, I, I really love this movie. I think everyone should see it, and I'm here for more. All so. I can say oh, a little, is I blame Tom Cruise. Little love I forgot. Oh, go on, Kim. Kim. Little love I forgot to give. I thought Vanessa Kirby Vanessa was Vanessa Kirby was really great. Fun. She was, yes. Although I yeah, do maintain I she went to too. the Elizabeth Debicki School of Villainy to bring it back to Man from Uncle. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. When, when Karen actually watches Man from Uncle, it will all make sense. Okay. All I know is I can blame Tom Cruise for the fact that my Netflix queue right now is a mess. And I'm not gonna say. Are you going? You're going full cruise. No, I'm not. You? I wish I was because. <laughs> or full cavil. Does that make it's me a hypocrite? It kind of does. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> as long as he doesn't try to flirt with you, everything's fine. He Just... totally can. Trust me. Like I will declare on error. Okay, I'm consenting. I 
I'm totally okay <laughs> with it. Okay, I will play. I will have that on a little tape recorder. Okay, just play it all the time. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's gonna wrap things up for this week. Um, of course, as always, you can find us find the podcast on Podbean, Stitcher, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spotify all the places. And you can check out our website, citizendamepod.com, where we have all kinds of fun stuff. You can check out all of Lauren's coverage from Fantasia Fest. She's got some great stuff up there. Kim has Citizen or Feminist Fridays every week. Um, we have our Citizen Dame 5. The current topic, which will be changed by the time you hear this, but the current topic is uh, our favorite Tom Cruise mo- top five Tom Cruise movies. So check that out. Um, I don't know what we're doing next week. I can't remember. Um, we also make sure to follow us on Twitter, Citizen Dame Pod, and Facebook, facebook.com slash Citizen Dame, and go to Patreon if you want to uh, hear some of our bonus content. We've got the Ultimate Boyfriend movie, or boy, movie boyfriend draft. We've got the... Uh, Sicario audio commentary that Kristen and I did, which is I'm sorry, but it's freaking hilarious and you totally want to hear it. Um, We've got some other things over there too and some new stuff that's coming up. Very soon we'll be doing a special episode dedicated to our love of Jeff Goldblum (laughs) and also Kristen. Um, Who just keeps on getting better, let's face it. He really does. He really, really does. Uh, and I think that's about it. So you can also follow us on our individual Twitters, Kristen. Uh, you can find me at journeys underscore film. Lauren. I am at LH Business. Kim. At KPR624. I am at Karen M. Peterson. So that's going to wrap us up. We hope you all have a great week, and we'll see you next time. I know what you're thinking. Maybe they're not here for you. Maybe they're just here for me. Are you willing to take that chance? You have something I want. Right now, that makes me the only person you can trust to get you out of here alive. I think I'd like to go home now.